gray and somewhat wet Monday. Lots of things to brighten your day, though, including the presence of Scott Reed, CTV political analyst. Good morning, sir. Good morning. That's me. A ray of sunshine. There you go. Uh, It is Election Day in Toronto. I don't know if there's much perspective you and I can bring, except maybe some of your reflections on how this campaign has unfolded. Any surprises for you? Um, You know, I think there have been a couple surprises. My number one surprise is that it has engaged the city. And I thought having a special by-election for the mayor without school boards, without, you know, city councillors, just like who's going to run this city at a moment where it felt like, People had a lot to be upset about, you know, violence on the TTC, uh, deteriorating sense of where our services are at, uh, financial challenges. I thought people were going to get wound up. I thought they were going to buck the trend and really get into this. I thought there were going to be some protest candidates that might take off. I just thought there'd be a broader degree of engagement. And I think at the end of the day, what we've learned is that this race, almost from, you know, tape to tape, has been about name recognition. And I think that's how it's going to end this evening. So I um, I found it a little disappointing in that sense. Okay, well, speaking of name recognition, one person you can't avoid seeing is Gong. And yesterday there was an entire float dedicated to him with him on it in the Pride Parade. What's this really all about? I mean, is this just a huge stunt? Uh, who knows? I mean, I assume it's just some very clumsy, uh, overpaid effort for the guy to burnish his name, thinking that he's got legal problems. It's going to cause, it's going to lead to like you know all sorts of reputational ha- hammering. And I think probably he fears that you know he may uh, find his way shipped back to China, and he's trying to like elevate his status and his name recognition in order to try to offset that possibility. I have no idea. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be well thought out or a coherent strategy but what it for sure has not been is threatening from an electoral standpoint this guy isn't going to you know get many votes um but you know he gave us all something to laugh at and uh, something to point at uh, all around the city i know there were about 33 of his signs surrounding um, my uh, my 10 year old school so he had uh, he had some sign game there's no question about that yeah, there's just a Bodie McBoatface aspect about the whole thing. And I have to say, I'd never heard of Edward Gong up until he started running for mayor. And now what I know about him is that his company has been previously found guilty of all sorts of nefarious things. So maybe raising his profile wasn't such a great idea. Um, yeah. No, go ahead. Anything more? Well, I was going to say is, I, you know, in my line of work doing a lot of issues management and um, strategic communications, you'll bump into people every once in a while who have more money than sense. And they'll be like, hey, I got a really good idea. I'm going to like do this. I'm uh, I'm going to, I'm going to raise my profile and I'll become admired. And um, that impulse exists in more people than you might think. And it almost never makes sense and almost never results in anything good. And I think, you know, gong has been a gong show. Chantal Hebert writing yet another column in the Toronto Star about how Pierre Polyev could be in trouble. Does she have it out for him or is her analysis on? <laughs> I think he definitely offends uh, Chantal's sense of um, 
traditional political strategies in the sense that Paul Evans and his crew have made it clear that they're not going to win votes in Quebec. They know that and they don't care that much. Um, now, that may prove to be a fatal error. Um, that may prove to be his undoing or among the things that are his undoing. But I think it also leads uh, Chantel, from her particular point of view, to shake her head. Um, you know, she has a point. She has a point that Polyev is abrasive and alienating to a lot of voters who are not already with him. And he has high negatives. Usually an opposition leader, you know, rides high in the polls against an incumbent government because it's time for a change is starting to brew and people are happy for an alternative. And they don't have a lot of negatives until people get to know them. Polyev has a lot of high negatives. There are people who dislike him intensely already. But I think that... If I was in Ottawa, I'd be throwing out all of Chantal Hébert's columns. If I was in Ottawa working for the government, I'd be saying, do not read these. Because it it also, it cultivates a notion that, you know, this guy isn't serious and he can't win and he's too extreme. And I've heard people say that over the years and then watch them go down and hail the gunfire. I've watched people around Lynn McLeod when I was working on that campaign as a young guy say there's no way in hell that Mike Harris could win the next election. And he did. You know, when you're working against Stephen Harper, you say, this guy's too far right. This guy's reform party where people will never elect him. And they did. The, you know, the, the, the Harper gang will tell you in their honest moments over drinks that, you know, to the last moment, they were like, well, people are never going to hire, you know, this, this dilettante Trudeau to be their prime minister. So, you know, people love to convince themselves of the many reasons that their opponent can't be elected. Their opponent can get elected. Right? Your job is to make certain that you do your hard work and put yourself in the best possible position. So that's my message to folks. Take zero for doing these comes. Okay, yeah, we're getting a little Mr. Roboto action on your voice here. I'm hoping we're going to be able to clear that channel up. Let's introduce the next topic and see uh, if the audio quality continues. Um, when wealthy adventurers take enormous risks and spend enormous amounts of money, should the public be on the hook for finding them, for rescuing them. And I know it sounds a little crass to raise the question, but the five people who died traveling to the Titanic each spent uh, what is thought to be about $250,000 in order to go. And probably in the end, tens of millions, if not hundreds, were spent trying to find them and retrieve them. And Scott's gone? We lost Scott. Okay. Well, you know what? During the meantime, as they would say on... Um, uh, Monty Python. Let's take a look at the greater detail in this coverage of the rescue effort. And they write about how, remember, geez, it was so long ago, I'd forgotten all about him. Multimillionaire Steve Fawcett. Uh, he and Richard Branson used to travel around on balloons together. And they would quite frequently end up with the balloon crashing and somebody having to go to their rescue. Then Steve Fawcett was flying a plane in Nevada that went missing in 2007. This was after several prior emergency rescue operations. And in this case, uh, he ended up being found dead. Uh, but then you get into, well, Branson's balloons. Uh, what else? The demand for the, those resources was spotlighted in 1998 when Fawcett's attempt to circle the globe in a hot air balloon ended with a plunge into the ocean 500 miles off Australia. The Royal Australian Air Force dispatched a Hercules C-130 transport aircraft to find him. A French military plane dropped 15 men in a life raft down to Fawcett 
he was picked up by a passing yacht. So actually, he didn't die in the 1997, or no, it was 2007. See, I don't even have a timeline on the number of times that Steve Fawcett went missing and had to be rescued. Um, is Scott back, though? We've rescued Scott. We've rescued Scott, all right, and at, at no expense. Um, uh, none whatsoever. Uh, in fact, I was able to crawl my way back up the internet and reach the top of this uh, digital mountain. Um, uh, I'm sorry to have left you there uh, tap dancing on a chronology of uh, ridiculously expensive expeditions. So, yes. I, you know, I'd say this. They should, one, they should must have private insurance, and two, they should pay a public bond. I think there should be, I think if you're going to be in a jurisdiction screwing around as a dilettante businessman, you know, oh, I'm going to like, you know, as you say, Branson's balloons. Well, then in the jurisdiction that you're in, you should pay some kind of public bond as a, as almost like as a surety against uh, potential costs. Cause you know, I don't, I don't understand, you know, particularly these repeat offenders. It's, it's just ridiculous. And in this case, you know, this organization knew that it had challenges. Um, it knew that every single one of its trips was a roll of the dice. Um, and it was playing with the house's money. So I, I, I think a public bond would go somewhere, some way to discouraging people from doing this unless they were really intent. And then it would at least uh, help curb some of the costs if uh, the awful occurs. I don't know about you, but I found it very satisfying this weekend to see Vladimir Putin on the run. It didn't last for long, but the uprising by the Wagner Group or the leader of the Wagner Group would suggest that uh, Putin's in some pretty serious trouble. Yeah, look, this is a cowboy movie where no one's wearing the white hat. Prigozhin is a monster. Putin obviously is a monster. But I think what's exciting about this is it demonstrably weakens Putin's hand, particularly weakens the military as Ukraine sets for this big counteroffensive. Because now there's no denying it. Prigozhin went on Russian state media. He blew the story. He said, listen, guys, this is a phony war. This is based on false pretenses. There's no glory in this. I think that's demotivating for the military troops. Now you don't have the Wagner group that's going to be helping to fight. Some of them are barring to be compressed back into uh, in, into service within the military. Can you imagine the, how welcoming those fellow comrades would be? Hey, weren't you trying to kill me just a couple days ago in uh, Rosov? Oh, great. So I think it really weakens the military and Putin's hand and weakens his position with the public. I don't know how this thing plays out, but this past weekend was bad, bad, bad for Putin. And I think that's good, good, good overall. Thank you, sir. Good to have you this morning. You too. Cheers. Glad we were able to rescue you from the bottom of the internet.